Chapter Seventeen of El Filibusterismo by Jose Rizal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Abai in June two thousand twenty. The Quiapo Fair. It was a beautiful night, and the plaza presented a most animated aspect. Taking advantage of the freshness of the breeze and the splendor of the January moon, the people filled the fair to see be seen and amuse themselves the music of the cosmoramas and the lights of the lanterns gave life and merriment to every one long rows of booths brilliant with tinsel and gauds exposed to view clusters of bowls masks strung by the eyes tin toys trains carts mechanical horses carriages steam engines with diminutive boilers lilliputian tableware of porcelain pine nativities dolls both foreign and domestic the former red and smiling the latter sad and pensive like little ladies beside gigantic children the beating of drums the roar of tin horns the wheezy music of the accordions and the hand organs all mingled in a carnival concert amid the coming and going of the crowd pushing stumbling over one another with their faces turned toward the booths so that the collisions were frequent and often amusing the carriages were forced to move slowly with the tabi of the cocheros repeated every moment met and mingled government clerks soldiers friars students chinese girls with their mamas or aunts all greeting signalling calling to one another merrily Padre Camorra was in the seventh heaven at the sight of so many pretty girls. He stopped, looked back, nudged Ben Zaib, chuckled and swore, saying, And that one? And that one, my ink slinger? And that one over there? What say you? In his contentment he even fell to using the familiar too toward his friend and adversary. Padre Salvi stared at him from time to time, but he took little note of Padre Salvi. On the contrary, he pretended to stumble so that he might brush against the girls. He winked and made eyes at them. Punyales, he kept saying to himself, when shall I be the curate of Quiapo? Suddenly Ben Zaib let go an oath, jumped aside and slapped his hand on his arm. Padre Camorra, in his excessive enthusiasm, had pinched him. They were approaching a dazzling senorita who was attracting the attention of the whole plaza, and Padre Camorra, unable to restrain his delight, had taken Ben Zaib's arm as a substitute for the girls. It was Paulita Gomez, the prettiest of the pretty, in company with Izagani, followed by Doña Victorina. The young woman was resplendent in her beauty all stopped and craned their necks while they ceased their conversation and followed her with their eyes even doña victorina was respectfully saluted paulita was arrayed in a rich camisa and panuelo of embroidered piña different from those she had worn that morning to the church the gauzy texture of the piña set off her shapely head and the indians who saw her compared her to the moon surrounded by fleecy clouds a silk rose-coloured skirt caught up in rich and graceful folds by her little hand gave majesty to her erect figure the movement of which harmonizing with her curving neck
displayed all the triumphs of vanity and satisfied coquetry izagani appeared to be rather disgusted for so many curious eyes fixed upon the beauty of his sweetheart annoyed him the stairs seemed to him robbery and the girl's smiles facelessness juanito saw her and his hump increased when he spoke to her paulita replied negligently while doña victorina called to him for juanito was her favorite she preferring him to izagani what a girl what a girl muttered the entranced padre camora come padre pinch yourself and let me alone said benzai fretfully what a girl what a girl repeated the friar and she has for a sweetheart a pupil of mine the boy i had the quarrel with just my luck that she's not of my town he added after turning his head several times to follow her with his looks he was even tempted to leave his companions to follow the girl and ben Zaib had difficulty in dissuading him paulita's beautiful figure moved on her graceful little head nodding with inborn coquetry our promenaders kept on their way not without sighs on the part of the friar artilleryman until they reached a booth surrounded by sightseers who quickly made way for them it was a shop of little wooden figures of local manufacture representing in all shapes and sizes the costumes races and occupations of the country indians spaniards chinese mestizos friars clergymen government clerks gobernadorcillos students soldiers and so on whether the artists had more affection for the priests the folds of whose habits were better suited to their aesthetic purposes or whether the friars holding such an important place in philippine life engaged the attention of the sculptor more the fact was that for one cause or another images of them abounded well tuned and finished representing them in the sublimest moments of their lives the opposite of what is done in europe where they are pictured as sleeping on casks of wine playing cards emptying tankards rousing themselves to gaiety or patting the cheeks of a buxom girl no the friars of the philippines were different elegant handsome well dressed their tonsures neatly shaven their features symmetrical and serene their gaze meditative their expression saintly somewhat rosy-cheeked cane in hand and patent leather shoes on their feet inviting adoration and a place in a glass case instead of the symbols of gluttony and incontinence of their brethren in europe those of manila carried the book the crucifix and the palm of martyrdom instead of kissing the simple country lasses those of manila gravely extended the hand to be kissed by children and grown men doubled over almost to kneeling instead of the full refractory and dining hall their stage in europe in manila they had the oratory the study table instead of the mendicant friar who goes from door to door with his donkey and sack begging alms the friars of the philippines scattered gold from full hands among the miserable indians look here's padre camora exclaimed ben Zaib, upon whom the effect of the champagne still lingered he pointed to a picture of a lean friar of thoughtful mien who was seated at a table with his head resting on the palm of his hand 
apparently writing a sermon by the light of a lamp. The contrast suggested drew laughter from the crowd. Padre Camorra, who had already forgotten about Paulita, saw what was meant, and laughing his clownish laugh, asked in turn, Whom does this other figure resemble, Ben Zaib? It was an old woman with one eye, with dishevelled hair, seated on the ground like an Indian idol, ironing clothes. The sad iron was carefully imitated, being of copper with coals of red tinsel and smoke wreaths of dirty twisted cotton. Eh, Ben Zaib, it wasn't a fool who designed that, asked Padre Camorra with a laugh. Well, I don't see the point, replied the journalist. But Punales, don't you see the title? The Philippine Press? That utensil with which the old woman is ironing is here called the press. All laughed at this, Ben Zaib himself joining in good-naturedly. Two soldiers of the civil guard, appropriately labelled, were placed behind the man who was tightly bound and had his face covered by his hat. It was entitled, The Country of Abaca, and from appearances they were going to shoot him. Many of our visitors were displeased with the exhibition. They talked of rules of art, they sought proportion. One said that this figure did not have seven heads, that the face lacked a nose, having only three, all of which made Padre Camorra somewhat thoughtful, for he did not comprehend how a figure, to be correct, need have four noses and seven heads. Others said, if they were muscular, that they could not be Indians. Still others remarked that it was not sculpture, but mere carpentry. Each added his spoonful of criticism, until Padre Camorra, not to be outdone, ventured to ask for at least thirty legs for each doll, because, if the others wanted noses, couldn't he require feet? So they fell to discussing whether the Indian had or had not any aptitude for sculpture, and whether it would be advisable to encourage that art, until there arose a general dispute, which was cut short by Don Custodio's declaration that the Indians had the aptitude, but that they should devote themselves exclusively to the manufacture of saints. One would say, observed Ben Zaib, who was full of bright ideas that night, that this Chinaman is Quiroga, but on close examination it looks like Padre Irene. And what do you say about that British Indian? He looks like Simon. Fresh peals of laughter resounded, while Padre Irene rubbed his nose. That's right. It's the very image of him. But where is Simon? Simon should buy it. But the jeweller had disappeared, unnoticed by anyone. Punales, exclaimed Padre Camorra, how stingy the American is. He's afraid we would make him pay the admission for all of us into Mr. Leeds' show. No, rejoined Ben Saib. What he's afraid of is that he'll compromise himself. He may have foreseen the joke in store for his friend Mr. Leeds and has got out of the way. Thus, without purchasing the least trifle, they continued on their way to see the famous Sphinx. Ben Zaib offered to manage the affair, for the American would not rebuff a journalist who could take revenge in an unfavourable article. You'll see that it's all a question of mirrors, he said, because, you see... Again he plunged into a long demonstration, 
and as he had no mirrors at hand to discredit his theory he tangled himself up in all kinds of blunders and wound up by not knowing himself what he was saying in short you'll see how it's all a question of optics End of chapter 17